Hey, everybody, we got a couple big things uh, to get out of the way before we start the show. Number one, I got a brand new uh, live show for you. That is going to be on June 29th, 7 p.m. It's a Saturday. We're moving out of the weekday slot. We got a Saturday slot. It's going to be a great time. Head on up to the Historic Piano Fight Theater, 7 p.m., June 29th on Saturday. That's Pride Weekend, by the way. It's a good, fun weekend to be in San Francisco. We're going to be talking all about the debates that will be happening uh, the previous two nights. I'll be making fun of uh, famous moments in debate history. It'll be great. Trust me, it'll be a really, really, really fun time. Second thing, of course, you can always support this show by going to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Sign up at the $3 level. You get a bonus podcast on Monday. You get a bonus podcast on Friday. These little minisodes will make sure that you are never on the dark side of the moon when it comes to political happenings. Always get my hot takes first. But here's the big one. All right. And this is something that I am very, very serious about because I believe in this person. Many of you, I think that there is a, a large crossover audience between myself, the Politics, Politics, Politics program, and Something's Off with Andrew Heaton. Andrew Heaton's been on the show before. Uh, he did a, an interview with me a couple months back. But he's done this show for the Blaze Network that is equal parts comedy and political commentary. He's a very smart guy. A hilarious human being and an amazing writer. I know a lot of you have enjoyed his show because you've enjoyed my show and I've been a guest on there a bunch. He is no longer with The Blaze, which is great news because we're going to get heat and unleashed. However, I, in talking to him, have, have kind of just preached the gospel of, hey, Trust this audience. The audience that you have found is going to reward you. You just got to take that first step out. So if you've enjoyed his show, I need you to do two things. Number one, head on over to his mailing list. That is mightyheaton.com slash newsletter. Second, and this is important, Heaton is doing another podcast. I'm I'm making him. He doesn't have a choice. I'm forcing him to do it because he slogged through a year of doing a political podcast in the worst possible time to do a political podcast. Nothing happened. It was all just pedantic, no stakes, nonsense. And now that he's in this transition, he's like, oh, I don't know, maybe I want to do it. No, you don't have a choice, my dude. All right, my guy. You, you know I'm serious because I'm putting my in front of other pronouns. You got to do a show, and he's going to do a show. So we set up a Patreon, patreon.com slash Andrew Heaton. If you've got all the faith in the world in this man, as I do, I need you to go over there right now, patreon.com slash Andrew Heaton. Sign up right now. But enough of talking about other people's stuff. Let's start the show. Channel, 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 baby, 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 baby,
Oh, yeah. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. We got so much to talk to you about. We got uh, 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 polls showing that Joe Biden is winning by a landslide in key states over Trump. John Stewart ripping Congress. Has AOC selected Elizabeth Warren as her candidate of choice in 2020? That'd be a big sting to the burn. Pray to wrong opinions, poll dance, but your emails. But let me get started with this, because there was a moment that happened yesterday that just kind of got me thinking. All right. And before we even get to the moment that happened yesterday, I want to go back even further. I want to go back to the very beginnings of this show. Only true PX3 nerds will remember the very origins of this program that coincided really with Trump beginning to run for president. In fact, everything, everything that I am about to talk about starts with this line. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. That, of course, was from Donald Trump's initial announcement that he was running for president. And it was right there, right there, that the media got their first hit. Ah, ah, feel it tingle, feel it course through your veins. Now, the first one's free. But after that, you got to pay for it. Because you know what's funny? When I was looking for this clip, the number one place I found it was a YouTube video where Donald Trump came on the air to discuss it. Now, you've tried to clarify this statement in recent days, Donald, but I guess the question comes down to this. Do you regret saying that specifically about rapists or do you stand by it? No, not at all. So not only were they playing the clip ad nauseum, they had Donald Trump Back on the man who theoretically said the thing that was offensive. They had the offensive man back on to explain what he was saying. But why? Why? Why did Donald Trump become catnip to the media? Quite simply, because it paid. The 12 Republican debates of which Donald Trump announced before the first one, so he was a part of each and every one of them, averaged over 10 million viewers. The first one, the one in Cleveland, this is the uh, uh, famous dust-up with Megyn Kelly that eventually led to the whole blood coming out of her whatever thing. That generated 24 million viewers for Fox News. By the way, that first debate was in August. (laughs) We're going to start the debates in May. It's our June. It's only in a few weeks. We're going to get so many more debates. That was the most most watched program on any cable news network. This is according to Forbes. You know, I remember watching a rally that Trump did before the first debate. It was after, 
I think it was at one of the department stores. I can't remember. It was Macy's or C's or something. I, I think they dropped his line of ties. Also, NBC had just dropped The Apprentice. So there was this moment where he's up on stage, and I'm watching this live on television, and he's just reading his enemies list. <laughs> he's just saying, oh, you know, like they dropped my ties. I can understand it business-wise, but they're dead to me. Uh, I'll never uh, talk to them again. They've made an enemy for life. He's just reading. He's just uh, going on and on about this. Now, if you were to ask me, Justin, would you like famous politicians throughout history to stand up on stage and openly and honestly admit their enemies list? Oh, yes, I would, in fact, pay a handsome price, depending on the politician. It is novel. But the question is, is it newsworthy? Around that time, I heard an interview with Keith Olbermann. And think what you will about Keith Olbermann. But there is one thing that I will forever trust him on, based on reading books and stuff about his career at ESPN and MSNBC. He is a fearless negotiator when it comes to him negotiating what he believes is a fair salary for his talents. He was apparently a pioneer at ESPN because he, on SportsCenter, wound up going to other anchor friends that he knew in New York City, figuring out what they were getting paid, and then figuring out what that percentage was based on the ad sales that the company was taking in, realizing that he and the other anchors were underpaid and went to ESPN. And eventually it was a negotiation that led to him being, you know, burning all sorts of bridges at that company. So you can think he's petty. You can think he's a man child. You can disagree with his politics. But that man knows the business of television. So around this time, I'm listening to this interview and Keith Olbermann says, it's no surprise that CNN is running Donald Trump rallies pretty much just as a live feed. Take that camera from the back, run it right out. No editing, no patrolling to see whether or not there's a newsworthy soundbite. Nope. Just go ahead and broadcast it. Maybe keep somebody on a dump button in case people start screaming the F word. Maybe. You want to know why? Because it's highly rated television that doesn't require an anchor. Donald Trump, for cable news, was a self-driving car. All the benefits at a fraction of the cost. Even if it did weird stuff sometimes. You know, like that one time he was trailing Ben Carson in a poll in Iowa... And he decided to get up on stage and make fun of the fact that in Ben Carson's autobiography, he talked about trying to stab his friend. He took a knife and he went after a friend and he lunged. He lunged that knife into the stomach of his friends. But lo and behold, it hit the belt. It hit the belt. And the knife broke. Give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a break. The knife broke. Let me tell you, I'm pretty good at this stuff, so. Stabbing? I have a belt. What? Somebody hits me with a belt's going in because the belt moves this way. It moves this way. It moves that way. 
He healed the belt buckle. Anybody, anybody have a knife? You want to try it on me? <laughs> Believe me, it ain't gonna work. You're gonna be successful. But he took the knife, he went like this, and he plunged it into the belt. And amazingly, the belt stayed totally flat, and the knife broke. How stupid are the people of Iowa? How stupid are the people of the country to believe this crap? Just so we're all clear on what's just been said, that's Donald Trump not criticizing Ben Carson for trying to stab his friend, but rather Donald Trump calling Ben Carson a liar that he didn't really stab his friend. And also, I guess, jokingly offering for people in the audience to stab him if they want. <laughs> Look, it is my theory, and it's going to be one that you are about to spend a lot of time very soon of me giving you a historic comparison to, but that Trump co-opted the media by doing their job for them. He provided content. He provided ratings. And so at that point, the media was helpless but to give him what he wanted, and that was airtime. This was a mutually beneficial situation for both parties involved. Now, media pundits have spent the last three years beating themselves up for not focusing more on the issues, whatever that means, and covering the spectacle too much. But this brings me to the moment that I had yesterday. Here is the clip that made the news. Joe Biden thought that China was not a competitor of ours. Joe Biden is a dummy. Now, believe it or not, there is actually a substantive disagreement within this soundbite, and the larger version, Trump goes into it a little bit more. We're going to talk about it on this show, the differences between Donald Trump and Joe Biden as they view China. This is something that actually could be disagreed upon reasonably and should, by all accounts, especially if Joe Biden makes it further into the Democratic primary, should be something that both parties have a lot to say about. But we didn't hear about the differences between Trump and Biden on China. All the headlines read, Trump calls Biden a dummy. So, here's my question to you. After a full term of bleeding, will reporters and editors be able to ignore sassy insults? Will they be able to do what they say they weren't able to do three and a half years ago? That they will be able to cover this man as somebody that would be a candidate and not a sideshow? Somebody that can't totally lead them around by the dog collar with every wacky phrase? If you think the answer is yes, well, you're a fucking dummy. If you would like to get my brand of story curation and commentary five days a week into your email inbox, you can sign up at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. We are on the march. The march to have our subscriber count match the year that I am writing this in. So far, we're stuck in the 1800s. But, but we are getting there. We're getting there. You know, we're, we're, we're getting to the point 
that uh, uh, you know we have a massive American migration from Europe, right? Uh, we're getting to the point where we could have the old Roaring Twenties as we move into the new ones. So head on over there right now, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Thank you to everybody that has already made this such a huge, huge tool to uh, you know get the word out on everything that we do. And it is my pride and joy to answer my email inbox every single morning. We are on the hunt to keep this mailing list out of the vile crutches of the algorithms known to us as Alderitos. So whenever you go ahead and see something that you like in the newsletter, you just want to say hi, just want to ask me a political question, go ahead and respond to the newsletter, and it helps with our Google Alderitos problem. Thank you to everybody who's done that. Thank you to everybody who signed up. God bless us, everyone. Politics! Here was the big news story of... Uh, the last couple days, uh, both Biden and Trump were in Iowa. How stupid are the people of Iowa? That's another good question. Uh, but but here's the CBS News story. An internal poll conducted by President Trump's reelection campaign found Mr. Trump trailing Vice President Joe Biden in some key battleground states in a hypothetical general election matchup, according to two sources with knowledge of the poll. The campaign also found Biden was doing well in states that Mr. Trump won in 2016 and would need to win again to ensure re-election to a second term. The poll was conducted by campaign pollster Tony Fabrizio, and its findings were reported by the New York Times. The poll found Biden doing well across a broad swath of the country, including the Rust Belt, like Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, as well as Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona. A number of public polls have shown Biden leading the president including a Quinnipiac University national survey released Tuesday that found Biden ahead 53 to 40. So let's play our favorite game. Why are we reading this story? Probably because the Biden campaign or folks in the Democratic Party infrastructure got a hold of these internal polls, and so they brought them to the New York Times. Who does this story benefit? Joe Biden, because it demonstrates that he has what is his greatest gift to uh, potential Democratic voters? Electability. He is a guy who can get the job done, and even Trump knows it. At least that is the narrative of this story. Now, what's the real story? Well, nobody knows anything. These polls are like, just even, even if you are going to be as data-driven as you possibly can be, Reading polls this early, which we like to do, but we have to responsibly understand that they are only a fraction of the piece of the puzzle going forward. Look, polls right before Election Day are best guess snapshots as to what will happen on Election Day. You would assume that a lot will change between now and then, over a year and a half out. So... What does this really mean? In my opinion, it really means that Joe Biden wants to continue to cement to Democratic voters, I'm the most electable. I'm the guy that can get the job done. Sure, at some point, we're all going to have a really big conversation about socialism and expanding these programs and getting a Green New Deal and Medicare for All. 
don't worry, children. Don't worry. Eventually we'll do it. But ask yourself this question. What means more to you? Those programs or Donald Trump being president? Because if I told you that if you give up your dogmatic idea that these programs need to have their day in the sun right now, then we can get Trump out of there. That's what I think he's saying here. Or that's what I think the people that got this information to the New York Times. I, I, I doubt it's from inside the Trump administration, the, the Trump re-election campaign. You know, I'm sure somebody accidentally BCC'd somebody and then next thing you know, they tell two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends. All right, we're going to get back into election stuff, but here's a story that actually has to do with governing. You guys know I'm not a big fan of it. Not a big fan of governing. But you want to know who else isn't a big fan? John Stewart. John Stewart has made a pet project uh, of his getting funding, federal funding, for 9-11 first responders. I think that it is a bipartisan, a good bipartisan issue. Whatever your political leanings, I think that the idea that 9-11 first responders, a finite group of human beings that played a pivotal role in a very dark chapter of American history probably deserves some special treatment. Well, John Stewart went to Congress to testify on the subject, and not a lot of Congress was there. So he got a little testy. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11, never forget their bravery, never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. And where are they? And it would be one thing if they're callous indifference and rank hypocrisy were benign, but it's not. Your indifference costs these men and women their most valuable commodity, time. And the idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now, well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick and they are going to die. Got into a conversation with somebody on the mailing list today when I put this in that said, you know, look, uh, John Stewart is a liberal commentator. He was he made a career as a liberal commentator. It's, it's almost doing a disservice to the 9-11 first responders to have somebody that is kind of on a side advocating for it. And I. I, I I disagree. I mean, look, people are politically active and they're going to have political opinions. I don't think that we should be punished for being interested, but also thinking that we're right on something. And I will say personally that I have never appreciated John Stewart more than watching the generation of people that came after John Stewart try to do the John Stewart impression. Oh, oh, my God. They should be bipartisan. I mean, look, again, this is not a, 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 a ever-growing entitlement. This is 
a finite group of people that deserve the support of the federal government, IMO. Here's the problem. In politics, in governing, the only power is future power. And it's unlikely that the 9-11 first responders are a block of people that will get more powerful. So, so I applaud John Stewart. Here was his final word on the subject. And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a, a 9-11 New York issue. Al-Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America and these men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back. It's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for, and you are ignoring them. Back to the election. Has Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made her decision? on who she is going to endorse in the 2020 election. It would seem to be down to one of two people. She uh, very much was a child of the Bernie revolution. She volunteered for Bernie back in 2016. It was a lot of the Democratic Socialist movement that helped make her not only an elected official, but also a bona fide political superstar. But lately... Lately, she seems to have been very cozy with Elizabeth Warren. And now let's go ahead and take a look at Elizabeth Warren's fate over the past few weeks. She has seen a radical uptick in her poll numbers, pretty much coinciding with the moment that she wanted to back impeachment of President Trump. AOC has also been very much in favor of impeaching President Trump. Elizabeth Warren wrote a very glowing tribute to AOC I think it was in Time Magazine recently and the two of them both teamed up to do a, uh, a little viral video upbraiding Treasury Secretary Stephen T. Mnuchin according to a Los Angeles Times article I just wanted to give them credit for using the term upbraided that would be a huge moment and it would be very curious to me to see how the democratic socialist element reacts to it. Because Bernie and AOC not being simpactico is a little bit like mommy and daddy fighting. Although that's a weird metaphor now that you really think about it. But I want to hear from you guys. I, I want to hear from the democratic socialist listeners. Who do you side with? Because I know the people who are for Bernie think that often think that Elizabeth Warren is kind of a faker. That she's not really for, she's not really on the team. I think some of that also comes from when Elizabeth Warren decided that she was going to back Hillary Clinton and not Bernie in the primary. But whenever you get into the Elizabeth Warren stuff with Bernie folks, it's always, oh yeah, capitalist down to her bones, Warren. Yeah, no, she's really on the team. But AOC is true blue. AOC, like Bernie Sanders, is trying to blaze the trail for democratic socialism. So what would that say for AOC's credibility? What would that say for Bernie's viability? If he can't even bring in 
the most famous disciple that he has, the one that has proven that his ideology has political vitality beyond the the cranky old man? Well, holy smokes, what chance does he have with the wider electorate? Would he be right in assuming that his pathway to the Democratic nomination was secure? Wrong! Oh, well, if that's the case, then it must be time for the... Parade of Wrong Opinions. You know, it's getting really close to that Miami debate, and we still have no idea who the moderators are. Wrong! Well, now we do. Savannah Guthrie, Lester Holt, Chuck Todd, Rachel Maddow, and Jose Diaz-Ballard will be your moderators. Of course, it is over two nights, June 26th and 27th. Uh, Both debate nights will have the same format. Holt will moderate the first hour with Guthrie and D.S. Ballard appearing alongside him. Holt will also appear in the second hour with Todd and Maddow moderating. That is according to an announcement of NBC News. I believe... Today is the last day that you can qualify, which means uh, something significant for a few candidates. But then Friday will be the day that we actually get the drawing to see who will be on which stage on which night. The way it's going to work, you have nine candidates that double qualified and are considered high polling candidates. Five of them will go on one night. Four of them will go on the other night. And then you have either low polling double qualifiers. These are the Andrew Yangs and Marianne Williams of the world. Uh, and they will be followed up by the folks that only single qualified. So they either only hit the donor threshold or they hit the polling threshold. These are the Bill de Blasio's of the world. Hey, the Democrats are ignoring Christian voters. Wrong! You know, we had an interview with Professor Tom Hollihan of the University of Southern California's Annenberg School yesterday. Go ahead and check that out in the feed. But he slotted Mayor Pete Buttigieg into the progressive lane. And and I, I didn't disagree with him because we were talking about other kind of stuff. But... This is something that I kind of feel needs to be factored into the Buddha judge milieu. And that is that he wants to run as a faith-based candidate. He is the gay guy who is uh, 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 out Christian. He wants to talk about Christian stuff. His big fight was with Mike Pence about uh, if you have a quarrel with my sexuality, then take it up with my maker Not with me. According to Politico, one of the biggest applause lines of Pete Buttigieg's latest trip to Iowa came when he said, faith isn't the property of one political party. And he's not alone. Apparently, Kirsten Gillibrand and Cory Booker are also using uh, faith as part of their stump speech. 
The question here is, is this an appeal to some never-Trump voters who have stayed the course, are for real never-Trump? Many of them are evangelicals or have a strong Christian faith. Do they want to craft their candidacies around the idea that I am a hold-your-nose Democrat? I know you don't agree with me. You probably don't agree with a lot of my policy proposals. And in Pete Buttigieg's case, uh, you may not agree with who I go to bed with. But am I going to do enough to signal that I am a decent, God-fearing man or woman that you are going to be able to hold your nose and vote for me if it comes down to me and Trump on election day? You know? It's an interesting play. Hey, look, if you're one of these candidates that don't make the debate stage in uh, June in Miami, there's no reason to panic. Wrong! No, you should panic. Like, for real. It's time to start screaming and yelling. Your hair is on fire. It is a wrap for you, my guy. This is from The Hill. Four Democratic presidential candidates likely to miss out on the first debate of the primary season face a serious and perhaps fatal setback for their campaigns. Missing out on the first debate, Democratic strategists said, would ordinarily mean the beginning of a death spiral from which a recovery might not be possible. That means Montana Governor Steve Bullock, Representative Seth Moulton, Senator Mike, sorry, former Senator Mike Gravel, and Wayne Messam, the mayor of Miramar, Florida, will likely miss the debate because today is the final uh, day to qualify. I don't think that there was a poll that put Steve Bullock in contention. He was the one who was closest. Quote former Representative Steve Israel, a candidate who doesn't make the debate stage starts running on fumes. Donors doors close. Media attention wanes. Volunteers drift away. At that point, it's tough to see how you reestablish momentum. Hey, Joe Biden hasn't flipped on two issues this week. Wrong. Oh, dude has been like a, a floor routine this week. Not one, but two. Here's the first. The Hyde Amendment. The Hyde Amendment is a uh, federal ban on abortion funding. Now, for a while, Joe Biden was able to kind of have his cake and eat it, too. He was able to say that the, the support of the Hyde Amendment was because uh, uh, he had a principled stance on abortion. That he didn't feel that federal funding should be going to it. He, he supported a woman's right to choose, but federal funding's a different story. And so he has held on this Hyde Amendment. Remember, he is a creature of Congress. He has held on this Hyde Amendment for decades. But when it got brought up, and this is obviously a very, very, very touchy moment for abortion rights, he flipped. One of his first moments uh, out in front of a mic he said, yeah, no, 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 I, I don't support the Hyde Amendment anymore. Hmm. Hmm. And then we're going to go back to what our A block was about, this whole thing about China. Biden came out and, and did. He said, look, China cannot outcompete America. The fact that we believe that China is a real competitor to us is a joke. Well, not anymore. 
This is Joe Biden speaking about China. They are a serious challenge to us. While Trump is tweeting, China is making massive investments in technologies in the future. While Trump is name-calling, China is building roads, bridges, and a high-speed rail. While Trump is pursuing a damaging and erratic trade war without any real strategy, China is positioning itself to lead the world in renewable energy. While Trump is attacking our friends, China is pressing its advantage all over the world. But the reason I'm optimistic and the point that I've been making for years is if we do what we need to do at home, if we stand up for American interests, if we invest in our people, live our values and work with our partners, we can outcompete anyone. Now, compare that to Biden's previous statement. China's going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. They can't even figure out how to deal with the fact that they have a great division between the China Sea and the mountains in the West. They can't figure out how they're going to deal with the corruption that exists within their system. They're not bad folks. Folks, they're not competition for us. Now you go ahead and tell me what sounds more like Joe Biden and what sounds more like Joe Biden's team saying, no, 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 no. You can't just go out and say that China's not competition. Because I would say that his first statement, that come on, man, that sounds a lot more like Joe Biden. Hey, speaking of Biden, all eyes are on Iowa, especially when all these uh, debates are starting to happen. So we got one of our purest gifts, our purest early primary gifts. And that is a trip to Anne's place. Shake it up, baby. Anne Seltzer of the Des Moines Register has blessed us with one of her polls. And that, folks, is the subject of our poll dance. We're going five wide here today. And that means that we got quite a crowd outside of this Des Moines Register treat. So... To Beto, Booker, Klobuchar, Delaney, Castro, Gabbard, Yang, Inslee, and Bennett. Baby, I'm sorry, but... I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen... I would like to welcome you to a Des Moines Register, CNN. Get on the floor if you got that booty. This poll was taken from June 2nd to June 5th. Stepping up first to the stage. Your senator from California. Let's get a big round of applause for Kamala Harris. Stepping up next. With a very, very strong 
14%. Give it up for the mayor of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg! I found you, Pete New Booty. Stepping up third to the stage with 15% of the vote, it is Senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. Stepping up next with 16% of the vote, Bernie Sanders. But your headliner, not quite where he was a couple weeks ago, a little tighter with the rest of the group. 24% of the vote, Joe Biden. That again is Harris 7, Judge 14, Warren 15, Biden, sorry, Sanders 16, Biden 24. This is a must win, must win for Mayor Pete. Must win. I don't think he has much of a shot in New Hampshire. I think New Hampshire is going to be very, very hard to beat when you have Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and Bernie Sanders, all of whom are very known quantities in New Hampshire. I think that South Carolina, with its uh, demographics, evangelicals and African-American voters, are also going to be tough sledding for the unknown gay candidate. So unless he wanted to really pin his hopes on Nevada, and at that point you're going to have the first two big gigantic primaries, or sorry, the first caucus and then a primary be done, this is kind of, if he wants a shot, this is a, a must win for him. So this is a good poll. All right, let's go ahead and get into, but your emails you can always email the show at the young american at gmail.com ken writes here is john c dvorak's rundown of the campaign so far notable highlights he thinks bernie is going to win the primaries he's still not convinced hillary isn't going to run and he thinks that buddha judge might be a cia asset regarding hillary I wonder if she's waiting for Biden to shit the bed so she can swoop in and say, I tried to sit this one out, but I can't sit idly by and let Trump take another term. The Dems will see her as a hero, a Gandalf to swoop in and save the day at the final hour, except for the Bernie Dems, they'll always hate her anyway. For someone who has no plans on running, we sure seem to hear about her a lot. Ken, I gotta, I gotta sit down with Dvorak because I gotta talk him out of this Hillary thing. For whatever you think about Hillary, spontaneous is not one of those things. And she would not be looked at as a conquering hero. She'd be looked at as somebody who's stealing the thunder of an Elizabeth Warren or a Kamala Harris. Like, what part about Hillary's career, and think as cynically about it as you want, 
makes you think that she is swooping into anything. Every time that she's run for president, she has telegraphed it in such a comical uh, a comical amount. She's, she's laid out plans for years. She is a planner. She is not a swooper. Crazy pants with silly sauce. Chris writes, I really enjoyed the interview about facial hair and the messages it could send about a candidate. Also, when it comes to police and fire departments, they usually mandate that their officers and crew not have facial hair so that the protective masks they use for smoke or potential biological threats can make a good seal with the skin. Having a beard won't allow that to happen. Keep up the good work. Glad you enjoyed your vacation. Thank you, Chris. Peter writes, a Roman walks into a bar, holds up two fingers and says five beers, please. I don't know why I put that in. I thought it was funny. And Rob, stationed in Germany, wrote, I really don't understand why politicians are being booed for not wanting to fully embrace a socialist policy. While I may be a full-fledged, rainbow-flag-waving liberal snowflake, I'm frustrate, frustrated that so many people seem to think that the only way to move forward is to fully overturn our entire economic system. Are things broken? Do we need changes? Sure. But does making a hard turn into socialism fix that? I'm not really sure it does. While I'm not sold on the old socialism is evil camp, I'm wary of throwing everything out and starting from scratch instead of making gradual change. And here's the larger point, Rob. Point well made in your email. But if you're wary about it as a self-described rainbow flag-waving liberal snowflake, how are the independents going to take to it? All right, that about wraps it up for us today. Uh, remember, you can support this show at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Live show, live show on the 29th in San Francisco, the Piano Fight Theater. Get your tickets right now, bit.ly slash PX number three June. We're going to be talking all about the debates. Can't finish. You can always email this show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trap Killers. Follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere, and you can download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. Go ahead and join our Discord. It is the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365-a-year chat room where people can talk about politics without tearing into each other's throats. All right. That about wraps it up for us Today, until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young reminding you that some shows talk about politics, some talk about politics, and I heard another one that was talking about politics, but this, this one right here, oh, it's the only show that talks about all
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>